If you'd like to follow along, the reading this morning will be taken from the New Testament, from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome. If you, if you are here visiting with us, we are especially blessed and privileged to have you, and we appreciate you being here. Just to start, uh, that actually is the text for this morning, not the reading. The reading was actually Matthew 28, 16 to 20. But it's okay because we're going to read both of those as we go through this lesson, so it's not really a problem. Last week, Jay finished a sermon series and in which he talked about the devil's schemes and how to overcome them. He talked about sin and how we get pulled into sin. And so he de- deconstructed it for us so that we can see it. And then he talked about the answer to our sin problem, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness comes from God. Forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ. So I want to touch on on that point, that forgiveness from God in our lesson next week, not this week. Uh, we start today a two-part lesson. So this is the first part, baptism. And we want to cover what baptism is not this morning. Next week, we will cover what baptism is, biblical baptism. And you might learn something new something that you might not have realized about baptism next week. But this week, as I say, we're going to touch on what baptism is not and the importance of that. We will explore what it is not. Next week, we will explore what it is. So, baptism is not what? Baptism is not, let's start with, an outward sign of an inward grace. This is a false doctrine. What this doctrine teaches is that you're already saved once you accept Jesus into your heart and that you're being baptized so that everyone else can see it and know it too. That's what it teaches. That baptism is just something that tells everybody you're already saved. And that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that it is just a sign of salvation, but it has nothing really to do with salvation itself. Well, take a look at Mark chapter 16. And we're going to try to look at various passages as we go through this lesson, some of them connected to the points that we're making. In Mark chapter 16, read along with me verses 14 to 16. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he, referring to Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. According to this passage, baptism 
is necessary for salvation. That little teeny word that you see there, end, A-N-D, in between believe and baptized, this little conjunction, according to one source, means this. It means together with. It means as well as. It means in addition to. It means added to or plus. So, if I were to take some of these and replace it with that little word end, what do we get? Well, we, what we get is whoever believes together with baptism will be saved. Whoever believes as well as baptism will be saved. Whoever believes plus is baptized will be saved. So baptism isn't a sign that you're already saved. It is part of the salvation process. You have to have both of those in place for salvation. And we're going to see a little bit more of this next week. The second point we want to look at, baptism is not just something we do because the Bible tells us to do it. Many people, including myself at one time, have heard of baptism, have seen people baptized, but without any teaching on the subject, we were left thinking that it was just something the Bible told us to do. I remember growing up in, in, in a religious group and attending that religious group and seeing this and telling myself, well, I know that's something I have to do, but obviously the Bible must say that I have to do it. But not understanding what it's for, well, then what happens if you're baptized? If you don't understand why you're doing it, then what happens? It means you're just getting wet because you don't understand what you're doing. Some people will get baptized because the Bible says they have to, but when asked what the purpose of baptism is, they'll simply say, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. I did what the Bible told me to. I got baptized. Yes, the Bible tells us we need to be baptized, but knowing the reason why we are doing it is very important. Not knowing it becomes an empty ritual where we just get wet and nothing else happens. Baptism is more, more than just getting wet. The third point, what baptism is not. It's not a formality to tell people you are serious about being a Christian. Now let me say that again. It's not a formality to tell people you are serious about being a Christian. I remember when I studied with Che, and it was pretty interesting, because I was trying to teach her about baptism, teach her about salvation. And we had looked at a lot of Bible passages. And then I asked her why she was baptized. And she didn't know how to answer that question. And I asked her a couple of more times, why were you baptized? And she shared with me later on that she thought I was from a cult or something. And she thought, well, why does he keep asking me that? And so she wondered to herself, why does he keep asking me this? I accepted Jesus into my heart, and I'm saved. I'm already a Christian, and then I was baptized. Why is he asking me this? And she didn't understand. And I remember her telling me, well, I've got this book over here that tells me, uh, that explains baptism. Let, give me a minute, I'll go get it for you. I'll read what it says. I said, no, 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 never mind that book. What does it say? And we were going through the very verses that we looked at for our reading. I said, what does it say? She said, oh, just give me a second. I've got a book that explains it. I said, never mind what the book says. What does it say? And then she struggled with that. And she read that. And then she said, and it came up right away, and she said, 
But what about all those people? That was her reply. But what about all those people? And I said, what about them? And she thought about it. And I said, think about this. That was the conclusion you drew. I didn't tell you anything. You drew that from what you read. That's what you understood. And so it was interesting to come to, for her to come to that realization on her own. And I was thankful. And so she really didn't know what she was baptized for. She just thought she had to do it as some kind of formality to show people she was serious about being a Christian. She had no real understanding of baptism. Later on, she learned the true meaning of baptism, and she was baptized. So baptism isn't a formality. It's not just something we do. And so the next point, what baptism is not, and this one's a big one, it's not for original sin. This is another false doctrine. This doctrine teaches that you are condemned under a death sentence because of the original sin of Adam. More specifically, it teaches that we are born into this world wicked, morally corrupt, and that we inherited this condition from Adam's original sin. In other words, his sin became our sin. That's what this doctrine teaches. And we know that that's not true. Take a look at Ezekiel chapter 18. We're going to go through this chapter just a tiny bit. Ezekiel chapter 18. And listen to what we read here. We'll start with verses 1 to 4. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son. Both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. And then he talks about, he gives a description in verses 5 to 9 about the righteous man and what that looks like. And then at the end of that verse 9, he says, the man is right, that man is righteous, he will surely live, declares the sovereign Lord. Then, verse 10, suppose he has a violent son who sheds blood or does any of these other things. And then he has another list of bad things instead of righteous things. So he talks about the righteous man, and then he talks about, well, suppose that righteous man has a son who is wicked. He does all these evil things. And then he says in verse the second half, verse 13, will such a man live? He will not because he has done all these detestable things. He will surely be put to death and his blood will be on his own head. But suppose this son has a son. So now he's getting down to the grandson. He starts off, the, the father is righteous, the son is wicked, the son has a son. And this son, it says, who sees all the sins his father commits and though he sees them, he does not do such things. He doesn't follow the footsteps of his father, who was wicked. Then it talks about wickedness, all these things that are wicked. We come down to verse 17, the second half of verse 17, and it says, He will not die for his father's sin. He will surely live. But his father will die for his own sin, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was wrong among his people. Yet you ask, why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, 
nor will the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against him. So we see clearly from Scripture that we are responsible for our own sins, for the way that we live, for the things that we do. The soul who sins is the one who will die. There is no such thing as original sin. We, we are condemned by our own sins, the ones we do, and not someone else's. So the next point we see as far as what baptism is not. Baptism is not to be added to our church to place membership. Some, some groups teach this. They practice this. That baptism is just the final step just to be added to their church. And this is something that I also used to think attending a few different groups when I was younger in their worship services, different religious groups. And I would, saw, I would see people get baptized and they would make the statement, this person has now placed membership. Or they say, this person has now been added to our church. Well, baptism is not for placing membership to our particular religious group being added to a particular church. That's not the purpose of baptism. Something happens later on that you're added to the church, the church that Jesus died for. But baptism, that's not the intention. That's not the, the purpose of baptism. And then finally, the very last point I want to bring out in this lesson of what baptism is not, and I thought of a few more after I did this lesson, but, I mean, obviously I'm not going to cover those. There's a lot of different things that we could have talked about what baptism is not. But the final point, baptism is not from man. It is not man-made. Baptism isn't something that man invented. It's from God. If it's from God, then it's something that needs to be taken seriously. If a person tells you, that you need to be baptized, that's not coming from that person. That is coming from God, from God's word. He is the one who commands it. And so, let's take a look now at Matthew chapter 28, which was supposed to be the reading this morning, but we'll read it now, so it works out okay. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Read along with me. I'm going to back up to actually verse 16 just to get a little bit of context and read through. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you notice, this isn't from them. This is from Jesus. And Jesus commands them to go out and preach this and to tell the world about it. It's from God. And we looked at Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16 a while ago. Let's read those verses again. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus commanded that baptism be preached to all. It's not man-made. It didn't come from man. It came from God. When we think of the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we go through those. They're known as the Gospels. We go through those, and we come to the book of Acts. Well, we already saw at the end of Matthew and Mark that Jesus commanded the apostles to share the good news of salvation, and baptism was part of that good news. In the book of Acts, we're told in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, that Jesus appeared to the apostles, and he instructed them 
and taught them over a period of 40 days. He taught them many things, things that they were to, in turn, teach others. And after appointing a 12th apostle, Matthias, the apostles began on the day of Pentecost to teach about salvation. And we're going to be looking at chapter 2. Now, this was the reading, but it's actually the text. And we're only going to look at it a little bit. But in Acts chapter 2, after Peter got the crowd's attention, he spoke about the prophecy of Joel, and then he spoke about Jesus. Peter talked about Jesus, who he was, the Son of God, and how these people that he was speaking to, these Jewish men, had helped to have him put on the cross, put to death. Now, these were all Jewish men that were here, that were present. They were here for the, the yearly feast, the three feasts that they had to come to Jerusalem for every year. They had to be present. And they're there for these feasts, and they had helped put Jesus to death on the cross. And so Peter starts to talk about that and tells them, you guys helped the Romans to put Jesus to death. And so Peter said in verse 36, take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Let everybody present be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. They helped put Jesus to death. And Peter explains to them just exactly who it was they put to death. Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for all this time. Here he is. They were waiting for him. He comes, and they kill him. They put him to death. But he wasn't just the Christ. He was Lord in Christ. And there's a reason for emphasizing Lord, because if he's their Lord, it means they had to listen to him, and they had to obey him. And instead, they killed him. And that is not even the worst part. Think about this. That's not even the worst part for them. Jesus was brought back to life by God. That's the worst part for them. Can you imagine how scared they were? What would be the first thing you would think of after being told all of that by Peter? Here's the Messiah, the Christ you've been waiting for. You've had him put to death. But you know what? He came back to life, and he's alive. Think about the realization of that. Think about what they would have been thinking. They probably were thinking about punishment is coming. Oh, no, this is God the Son. He's alive. We're going to be punished for this. I wouldn't be surprised that's what they were thinking. They could have been thinking a lot of things. They rejected God's chosen one who came to save them. They had him put to death, and here he is. He's alive. Can't be good, right? But look at the reaction of verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do you can almost hear the fear in their voice what are we going to do what shall we do how are we going to fix this well you can't fix it that's not something you can fix what are we going to do they got it they believed in jesus who he was and they were cut to the heart or cut to the quick as some translations say when you think of cut to the quick you, you picture I always think of this vision of, of somebody coming up to me and telling me maybe my wife died or somebody that's very close to me died. That feeling you get cut to the quick, like it cuts you right away, like, ugh. And that's what happened here. They're cut to the heart. They're cut to the quick. Then Peter told them the good news. Take a look at verses 38 to 41. 
Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They might have been expecting punishment, but what was offered instead was forgiveness. They might have thought it was all over for them, but Peter told them, No, this is a new beginning. You might have helped put Jesus to death, but that's not what's waiting for you if you accept Christ as Lord, if you're willing to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. This is good news. This good news, which included baptism, is also available for us today. Baptism is part of the salvation process. It's necessary. It isn't just something, an afterthought, something you do afterwards. It is part of the salvation process. If you are here today, if you can't wait till next week to hear that lesson about what baptism is, if you need to know today, right now, won't you come forward as we sing our invitation song 